So we are working our way through Jesus' famous Sermon on the Mount, found in Matthew's chapter 5 through 7. And our subject today is a sensitive one, the subject of divorce. The experience of divorce is described by many as one of the most painful experiences of life. It's something that affects not only the divorced couple, but their children, if they have them, families, and friends. And just based on statistics, it's likely that half of the people listening to the message today have been through a divorce or will go through one sometime in their lifetime. Jesus had some important things to say about marriage and divorce. He spoke the truth with genuine love. Please know up front that as I talk about this sensitive topic today, uh, that's what I'm trying to do as well. That is my intention in my heart to speak the truth in love. I'm not here to judge anyone. I think that if we really understood what Jesus said about divorce and how it should be interpreted for the world today, we would find an incredible amount of grace and love as we, as well as truth, as we uh, listen to his words, and it could change our lives forever for the better. So what did Jesus say? Well, today we are reading about it from Matthew chapter 5, and we're looking at just two verses, verse 31 and 32. In verse 31 it says, You have heard the law that says, A man can divorce his wife by merely bringing her a written notice of divorce. Now, I want to stop here and point out that Jesus is talking about an Old Testament law in Deuteronomy chapter 24, where it says, if a man marries a woman who becomes displeasing to him because he finds something indecent about her, he can give her a written certificate of divorce and send her away. That was the Old Testament law for the ancient kingdom of Israel as given to Moses to give to the people. Now, Jewish religious leaders in Jesus' day debated a specific clause in that statement quite a bit. It's the part that says, if he finds something indecent about her. That was the stipulation. If a, if a man finds something displeases him about his wife because of something indecent in her, he can write her a certificate of divorce and send her away. But what does it mean to be indecent? And of course, we've talked about this before. The religious leaders of Jesus today wanted to be specific. They wanted to understand exactly what did the law mean? And so they debated what, this really, what does it really mean to be indecent? What is the reason that a man could divorce his wife? And there were two popular interpretations in Jesus' day. One rabbi, a famous rabbi named Shemai, said that the only indecency that could lead to divorce had to be a serious transgression. So if a woman was being dishonest and stealing her husband's money, or, or maybe she was flirting with her neighbors and 
shaming her husband, or she was walking around exposing herself in public. Serious transgressions. That was the only reason that a man could find her behavior was indecent enough that he could divorce her. That was one rabbi and his followers, Shemai. Another famous rabbi, Rabbi Hillel, said, no, no, no. A man could divorce his wife if she simply burned his toast for breakfast. That was indecent enough and he could send her away. He had the right to do that. And it's in the law of Moses. So the religious Jews of Jesus' day had this debate going on. This was a hot topic of their day. And they generally found themselves into one or the other school of thought about divorce. One was very restrictive. You can only divorce your wife. It was a serious matter. And another one was kind of flippant and said, no, you can do it for whatever reason you want. You're right as a man. By the way, I want you to point out too, and I never thought about this before, because I always thought the seriously indecent behavior that would be cause for divorce would be adultery, right? You probably thought that too, but think about it. The penalty for adultery is death. No need to divorce your wife if she's been adulterous. She's dead. <laughs> That's not the issue. It's not adultery. It's not about adultery. Because if she's cheated, no need for it. But then Jesus, who is God in human flesh, speaks. And he says in Matthew 5, 32. But I say that a man who divorces his wife, unless she's been unfaithful, causes her to, to commit adultery. And anyone who marries a divorced woman also commits adultery. Pretty serious words. People have often used this passage to prove that Jesus forbids Christians to get divorced or to remarry after a divorce. And on the surface, that seems to be what he's saying but if you only read the passage that way, you are misunderstanding the point that Jesus is making. Throughout this chapter, Jesus has been using real-life examples to show that people are utterly helpless to fulfill God's perfect and holy law. Remember what Jesus said in the passage last week about lust and adultery. He says, if you've even looked at someone and lusted in the, after them, you've committed adultery in your heart. And the point was that almost everybody's done that. And so we're all guilty. The Jewish religious leaders knew how hard it was for people to stay married to the same person their whole life. So they were always looking for exceptions. One group said, if she burns your toast, you can divorce her. Another group says, it has to be something serious. Jesus said, it was never God's intention that anyone get divorced. And if you do, you're breaking God's law. 
But the point is, once again, Jesus is saying we are unable to fulfill God's law. We can't do it. That's why Jesus came to fulfill the law for us. To die on the cross, to pay our penalty, and to offer us God's grace and mercy to restore our broken relationship with him. This passage is not directly about divorce. It's about how Jesus came to save us from our sin. Well, that's a fine biblical theological theological lesson. But we all want to know. We just want to know. Is it okay? Is it okay for Christians to get divorced and remarried? I get it. We want to know. Divorce is heart-wrenching. And genuine Christians who want to be faithful really struggle when it comes to divorce. So I'll talk about that a little bit. Methodists today accept that divorce is sometimes necessary. And this is true of the two largest Methodist denominations, the United Methodist Church and the Global Methodist Church. And as far as I know, divorce is allowed in all of the other Methodist denominations that I'm aware of. However, I want to state clearly that we believe that this is not in spite of what Jesus and the Bible says, but because of what Jesus and the Bible says. How can that be? It seems to be so clear what he's saying. The Bible's laws about divorce, laws that Jesus confirmed, were specifically designed to protect women in the ancient world against abandonment. Since most women in Jesus' day could not work to provide for themselves unless they turned to prostitution, God did not want women to be abandoned. So God gave strict laws to forbid divorce. That way, women could not be cast out by their husbands and become destitute. Now, in a perfect world, the way God intended it to be, Divorce would not be necessary. A man and a woman could be faithful and loving to each other their whole life. But we know, we all know, we don't live in a perfect world. Sometimes divorce is necessary. Sometimes in our modern world, divorce is the way to protect women, which was the original intent. And sometimes it's also a way to protect men. Look at an example. What if a man is abusing his wife? There is no way in the world Jesus would look at that woman and tell her, you must stay with your abusive husband. Because Jesus knows the point of the divorce laws is to protect women. Why in the world would he use it to trap a woman in a life-threatening situation, he would not. Jesus' teaching was to protect women, not hurt them. And this goes for mental, emotional, and spiritual abuse as well as physical abuse. Jesus wants more than anything to protect the vulnerable. 
And it goes both ways. Because we live in a different world in the 21st century than it was in the 1st century. It goes both ways to protect both men and women. Because Jesus wants to protect men too. In our modern world where women can leave their husband and make it on their own. Men need protection from abusive relationships too. Sometimes divorce is the only way out of an abusive marriage for a husband. And if Jesus was here speaking today, he would say the same thing. So don't let anyone twist what Jesus said to protect women 2,000 years ago. Don't let them twist that into a way to hurt women or men today. God's law and Jesus' teaching is meant to protect the vulnerable from abuse. Now, that's not to say that Christians should take marriage lightly or use divorce as an excuse not to work through tough marital issues. Marriage takes a lot of work. And faithful spouses should be committed to do everything possible to stay together if they can. The truth is, I mean, come on, the truth is, divorce is so difficult. It's expensive. It's painful. There's, there's not a lot of people out there that's just taking divorce lightly. Because it's tough. And they don't want to go through it. Most of the people that I've talked to that have been through it didn't want it. But it was all like it was all it was what they had to do. Our goal should be to marry for life. And I think two faithful people who are truly committed to each other and to Jesus can find a way to be together for life. But it takes both. It takes a husband and it takes a wife to make it happen. And if it can't happen, and staying married is more harmful than good, then divorce is permissible. Maybe even advisable. In 1 Corinthians 7, the Apostle Paul talked about divorce too. And he said that if your spouse is determined to leave, you should let them go. You aren't bound to try to force them to stay. Now, there's a whole lot more that could be said on the subject of marriage and divorce than we can address in a general sermon where I'm talking to a whole bunch of people that all have individual situations and lives. It's complex. And every case is unique. If you are struggling in your marriage or if you're contemplating divorce, come talk to me. Or find a good marriage counselor to talk to. Many times, marriage problems that seem too big to work out can be worked through if you find the right person to talk about it with. Someone who can help you work through it. And if you can't work through it, the counselor or the pastor could also help you to have peace of mind. And knowing when it's time to think about divorce. 
And you can know that you can have the peace of mind. You tried everything before you went down that road. We live in a broken world. The Bible tells us our spiritual ancestors, Adam and Eve, disobeyed God and brought sin into God's beautiful and perfect creation. And all of creation has suffered the consequences. Romans 3.23 says, All have sinned, all fall short of God's glorious standard. And we see the results all around us. We see the sickness, we see war, we see famine. Even families and marriages fail because the world is not the way God intended it to be or wants it to be. And that is why Jesus came. Jesus came to fulfill the requirements of the law when we couldn't. Jesus gave his life on the cross To atone for our sins. Jesus rose from the grave to prove God's promise to reconcile us. And to give us eternal life when we repent and call on the name of Jesus Christ to save us. Jesus also gave us a special and sacred ceremony to remember our brokenness. And remember what he did for us. And to strengthen us to live for him. Until we realize the healing and restoration of the coming kingdom of heaven. And so, let us remember Jesus Christ, our Savior, our Lord, our Healer. As we celebrate the the sacred sacrament of Holy Communion. On the night that Jesus was to be arrested. He shared one last meal with his disciples and friends. And at that meal he showed them symbolically what he was doing for them and for the whole world. And he gave them. A special ceremony to remember and to find strength. And we celebrate that today. On that night, he took the bread. He raised it to heaven and asked the Lord to bless it. And then he broke it and he gave it to his disciples and said, Take and eat. This is my body that is given for you. Likewise, after the meal, he took the cup and he raised it to heaven and asked the Lord to bless it. And then he gave it to his disciples and said, take and drink from this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant poured out for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. As often as you drink it, do it in remembrance of me. Let us pray. Gracious Father in heaven, thank you for sending your Son, Jesus Christ. When we had made a mess of this world, we had made a mess of our marriages and our families and our relationships, you came to redeem it all. You came and fulfilled the law perfectly where we failed miserably. 
You died on the cross to forgive us of our sins and to wash us clean and to atone for us so that we can be reconciled with God in heaven and our fellow people on earth. You rose from the grave on the third day, proving that your power overcomes death. Not just the death of your son, Jesus Christ, but our death because of sin too. For we too can rise like him to new life and to the kingdom of heaven. And therefore, we gather around your table this morning. We celebrate this sacred time together. As we partake of the bread and the wine, we ask that you pour out your Holy Spirit on the bread and wine and on us gathered here, that the bread might be the body of Christ, that the wine might be his blood, that we might be the body of Christ redeemed by his blood. And we ask it in the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.